What's the main problem you're trying to solve? Okay, the outcome that they're looking to achieve. And then what's going to add them speed? What's going to add speed to that? So if they listen to your topic, what can you give them that's going to add, get them to their this resolution or get them over that obstacle faster? Welcome to 7 to 8, our special series on 7 and 8 figure speakers. In this interview series, some of the hottest speakers in the industry who've made over seven figures in a year or less will uncover their twists and turns in their adventures, helping you to avoid the potholes and stick to the fast track. Welcome now to Center Stage, our next guest speaker. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, George Shepard. George, thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, glad to be here. It's going to be fun. Awesome. So give us a 5,000 foot view of who you are and what you're up to now. Sure. So I've been doing internet marketing for a really long time. Uh, started doing this around 2000 when I launched my first website, way back when domains were a hundred bucks a piece and it was expensive to get in the game, right? Um, moved into information marketing space, doing, did a lot of, uh, virtual events or like membership site type of things. Um, and, Slowly grew from an online business, strangely enough, to an offline business. And now I'm back to online because that's where everything's going. And now we're just doing a lot of virtual events. That's our primary thing. So we help a lot of speakers like completely explode their uh, level of influence through our, our well-attended virtual events, our typical virtual events, 10,000 more people. So we put people on virtual stages that are big ones and not just a few people, which is still pretty good, but... We want to get a lot of people, as many eyeballs as possible. And we also do the same thing for our hosts, people we work with, we partner with to help them kind of own the stage. Because I do believe if you're going to be on stages, one of the best stages to be on is the one that you own. That you get to choose who you're bringing on board and then you get to really benefit from that. So that's what we do. Nice. I love it. So we will definitely get into that in a little bit, but let's back up the bus a bit. And how did you get into speaking per se? That's a good question. Um, I think one of my first speaking gigs was, I'm a drummer. So my first event that I did, my first virtual event was actually a drum summit where I interviewed a lot of people in the drum space, a lot of uh, famous drummers and whatnot. Uh, if I didn't mention the names, you probably wouldn't know the names, but you'd know the bands, right? For sure. Um, so we did some of that and I started getting people to ask me, like, will you come out and judge competitions? Will you come out and speak? Will you come out and go on tour? So one of my first uh, speaking experiences was I put together five uh, people from when I was, I went to Berkeley school of music in, in uh, Boston. I put together five people on spring break from all different countries. And we drove across the country in my um, Jeep Grand Cherokee. <laughs> and then we went on tour. Like that was our whole thing. Like we're going to go on tour for spring break, right? What the heck? We're not going to go to the beach or anything. We're going to go play music. So we went across, um, we, we went as far as I think Indiana. And then we did this loop and we came back around to Boston, but we were speaking about our experience uh, with playing music with, um, just going through, you know, what it was like to be a musician and be a professional musician to, to high school kids and things like that. And it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And just seeing their faces light up and they really got excited about something. And that was, that was kind of my entry point into uh, speaking. I love it. So what do you think drew you into it as a thing? Went, yeah, I think we should go speaking on this. <sighs> yeah, that's a tough thing to say. Like <laughs> I've always been kind of a giver. You know I mean, like, I really want to go out and give information to people. Like my wife's always telling me, you tell them too much. Like you're telling, you're sharing all your secrets. Like, why are you doing all that? Like have, save something so they can pay for it or whatever. I'm like, well, you know, my, the way I look at it is they're either going to do it or they're not going to do it. And if I can at least impart to them something that they feel like, Hey, they could do this on their own, but if they know that things could be a little sketchy, if they want to try it on their own, like it might be a little bit more difficult than they thought they might want to work with me. 
you know, on it. So I don't really hold anything back. And there's no like a secret sauce that I'm like, you know, can't have my seven herbs and spices or 11 herbs. I don't know if it's seven or 11 herbs and spices, but you know, I don't really like hold that stuff back. Right. Nice. And nobody is ever going to make it the same way anyway. So they're all going to go buy it from you. That's right. That's awesome. So how long did it take you to make your first million speaking? Um, I would say it was probably a three to four year process, like really trying to figure it out on my own. Because one of the keys to making money when you're speaking is like, you can speak on stages all day long for free. You can do lunch and learns. You can do all kinds of stuff. Uh, and you might only get a lunch out of it, right? So you're not going to make a million bucks on free lunches. But what you do is you have to have something on the back end people to purchase, something that's a felt need. So I started to learn a little bit about copywriting. And I'm not sure if this is something that was just innate in me. They just kind of knew people's pains and frustrations, uh, probably because I was having them myself. Uh, and I had to hear about them all the time from family members who complain too much. <laughs> but there's understanding what people complain about gives you an idea of what you can build to help solve their challenges. Because people don't complain about something that they're not in pain about. So if you listen to the complaints of people around you, people that are in your niche, or you read the bad reviews or reviews that would say, I wish that it had this, this in it for products or, you know, for services or things that are in your industry, it gives you an idea of what you can create on the back end. So the, the success equation, really, the 11 herbs and spices is to have programs and not 11 programs, but a couple programs that people can get into that are very low friction. So when you're speaking, they can, number one, there's a certain amount of reciprocity. They know, like, and trust you, you know, and then it makes it real easy for them to go buy your stuff. Um, I'm not kind of a go to the back of the room and buy my stuff on the stage. Like I'm not really that kind of person, but you can do a little bit more low key. There's some really cool ways of doing it. Like you can just text me to get this free thing. So they get on your list. They text you to get whatever it is. Now they you've got that contact. You can market to them. You can actually develop a relationship with them. So the way that I recommend and the way I did it is I would start building an email list. At this point, like my email is like 750,000 people, which is still small comparatively to a lot of people that I know. But to be like, holy cow, 700,000, it didn't come overnight. Over time, enough speaking gigs, enough hosting your own gigs to where you're bringing other speakers in. They're all like, there's a collaborative event there. You can build a really strong ecosystem of emails. I do recommend everybody, and this might change in the future, but everyone stay away from social media as their primary ecosystem because 100,000 people on social media equates to about 100 people on email. Wow. I'll repeat that one more time. Yes. 100,000 people on social media equates to about 100 people on an email list. So you can have a very responsive email list and it doesn't even have to be more than 1,000 people. I know there was a lady that was in the dog training space in a mastermind I was in and she made something like $800,000 or 1.5 million a couple of times for launches of an email list that was, it was tiny. I, I, th- I don't remember if it was 800 or 8,000. I, I kind of think it was 800. It was just, it was crazy small. We're like, how in the world are you doing this? But she was selling them a $5,000 program. So you want to think about what are those programs that you can create that solve people's pains, that you can invite them to join you on that jet journey to solve their problem. And that's how you do your, that's how you make it work. That's how you make your millions. Well, it takes a while to figure that out though. You know, <laughs> right? people don't figure that out the first time. Well, exactly. And I think people think a certain way for a long time when they're speaking and it's, it's a conundrum to me because I don't, I don't get it, but they're not really thinking, Hey, I want to go out and make a million dollars. They're going out and thinking, Hey, I got this message. I want to go and give it out to people. Maybe that's the thing. What propelled you to make your first million? Like what changed your mindset from whatever was going on to, Hey, I'm going to make this million dollar business. 
That's a good question. I mean, none of us start, like you just said, none of us start out thinking I'm going to like, this is going to be a big business. I'm going to make a ton of money. and I'm going to retire. Like even retirement's not in the cards. You think you're going to retire when you make a million and then it's like 5 million. And then it's like, am I really going to ever retire? It's like, no, I love this stuff. But you go out because you want to, you want to connect, you want to share, you want to, I think the inquisitive mind is a key to a lot of this. So I'd say if you want to be a great interviewer or say interviewee, interview other people, a lot of other people. 10,000 hours of other people, because you'll learn exactly how to respond to questions. You know how to read somebody as an interviewer and give them an answer, not that they just want, but an answer that's going to compel an audience. Because sometimes anyone who's experienced being on TV, sometimes on the news, they will twist an interview question. So what you say and what you think is going to come out on the other end is not what comes out on the other end. It's like, holy crap, like this is a soap opera. Like, how'd you you spin that around on me? Um, So you need to know and understand intuitively what questions they're really looking for and also how to lead them to the message that you're trying to lead. Because if you just leave it up to them with yes, no questions are really short, you know, answers, I should say to, to questions that they're asking then sometimes you can't guide, guide the conversation to where you want to go. Like, what is it you want your brand to look like? And I think that's a, another thing. Maybe we can get into that. Like branding yourself as a speaker is a touchy subject that no one ever really talks about. Like they don't talk about the right way. You know, like, hey, you can be an expert in authority, but there's a lot more to branding than just that. It's how you say it, what you say. There's certain catchphrases, a lot of stuff that you need to consider on the branding side of things to keep your messaging on brand and also make sure that you don't get your words twisted around. So as far as the point, coming back to your question of when I thought, like, I'm going to turn this into a business, I think it was when I realized that this was way more fun than everything else I was doing. You know, and at that point, I'm like, okay, well, how much can I make at this? I think I, I got, oh, who was it? Mike Fulsame's ebook on butterfly marketing and some other things. I realized this online marketing stuff is like, people are making a lot of money. Like, what, what is this? And yeah, I mean, that's just slow. It wasn't an overnight, like, I'm going to switch my mindset, switch my business model. It was kind of like, hey, I think that I'm going to dip my toe in the water and see where this goes. And it was just by solving people's problems. And, you know, actually there's something else too, Michelle, that um, I think it might've been a catalyst for me to moving into that space. And that's writing. And most speakers, like we, most of us have books and you're not going to make a million bucks. Most people not going to, well, there'll be some naysayers out there like, you're wrong. I made a million. Like you're not going to make a million bucks on your book. It's probably not going to happen. It's what comes from your book that you'll make all the money from. So you want to keep that in mind. Um, so writing books or writing a series of books is what really opens up doors for other opportunities. I love that. So what do you feel that you did right, right off the bat? What was one of the things you went, oh, that was a good move? Having no shame. (laughs) (laughs) Tell tales. Yeah. uh, So it's really, remember, it's a double-sided coin of the interviewee and the interviewer. So I had no shame in in going out and asking for what I wanted, like to get somebody on a call, right? Because I had an inquisitive by myself, like, I want to know how you're doing these things. Like, this is really cool, right? I want to know the backstories. Um, give me the stories that no one talks about. And those kind of conversations came up and that's, we record those. This is, this is early podcasting days. Of course, I never really had that kind of a podcast. It wasn't like that. It was just, it was an interview for membership areas. It was kind of that type of thing. And it opened up a lot of opportunities to talk with people, to get more people um, on to do interviews with me, started learning about what people are doing, what kind of opportunities are out there in the space and the niche that I was in. So um, I would say that no shame thing is the key. And taking, what was that? You remember that show with um, 
Jim Carrey on where he's like the yes man. Do you remember that? You ever yes. see that video? It's hilarious, right? Like what would happen if you said yes, yes. to every opportunity? And it's scary uh, right. to a lot of people. But you know what? I was kind of the yes guy early on, you know, and there was every, and it was it's not great for relationships. Let me tell you, it's there's some bad stuff that can happen with being the yes guy or the yes gal all the time. But it does open up a lot of opportunities because so many things come across your plate. And I would say intuitively, I found instead of finding an excuse, I found a way. That was probably like the secret sauce of getting in there early is like not having any shame to say, like, I'll do anything, you know, to see what works. I wasn't desperate. Like that, it wasn't that kind of no shame. It was just more of a, let's make it work and let's figure out how to make it work. And just going out there and doing it, finding a way to make it work. I love that. So if you knew then what you knew now, what would you have done differently? What mistakes would you have avoided? Yeah. Uh, how long do we have for this interview? <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone, just like say one of yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> put the list together right now. Like, give me 25 minutes and I'll, I'll come back with you. Um, Pause. <laughs> I think I would have built my personal brand faster. I think early on, I was a little bit afraid that I didn't have something to say that people would want to hear, you know, that like, well, who am I? I'm a 25, 23 year old kid. I'm like, what I have to say. I mean, I wrote my first book. I think it was 25 years old, 26 years old, something like that. When I wrote my first book, uh, actually, no, I take that back as 21 when I wrote this first book, but it was a drum book. So I don't really count that as like a real book that people like other people are going to be looking at. It's like how to play drums. It's only the most popular book. you've. Read. Yeah, exactly. It's the one that sold the most. Right. Exactly. Um, and I just was always inside my own head on this thinking like, why, why are people going to listen to me? Like, what is it that I'm going to tell people that I'm going to change their lives? So I think getting past that little, that fear um, and that self-doubt, the imposter syndrome is one of the things that if I could have got past that a little bit earlier, I could have gotten out there and do some things uh, faster. I probably would have taken some bigger risks. Although it sounds like I'm a risk taker. I was very calculated with the risks I took because I, I literally, I moved from Boston. when I finished school, I went back to Cincinnati, Ohio for about four months because I had no money. <laughs> so I went back there and like trying to make it work. And then I moved straight to California. Like I literally had a hundred dollars in my pocket. And I had my Jeep loaded up with my drums and a couple suitcases. And I moved to California and that was it. I'm like, I'm going there. And I'm going to make it. And this is what I'm going to do. And I remember getting to California. The biggest uh, thing that I had that was this strange was like, there was no refrigerators. Like none of the apartments came with refrigerators. So I'm like that hundred dollars that I had, I had to buy a freaking refrigerator with a hundred bucks that I had. I was literally drinking <laughs> uh, warm milk, like the soy milk that doesn't need to be refrigerated. I was using that for, for everything pretty much. And like, warm beer. You know, it was like, it was not a good sign scene for like uh, a couple months trying to figure that out and get some students and whatnot. But I think just getting over that, like I, I haven't made it in my life yet. So why would someone want to listen to me? And it wasn't really about making it in my life. It was, I was even, didn't really make it in my career as a drummer at that point. You know, I was still teaching people how to do this while I was going out and finding the, the gigs on my own. And I think what I did, here's another thing too, Michelle, I, I took a look at this from a, a different approach, like a backdoor approach, which is, uh, I use this analogy on a regular basis, which is if someone, if, if you're going for Black Friday sale, the dumb ones wait in line. The even dumber ones try to cut the line, <laughs> right? And try to go in the front door. But the really smart ones make friends with somebody who's a store employee and they go in the side door before the doors even open. 
So the question is, how can you be the smart one that goes in the side door in your industry, making friends with people who are on the inside? So when I was living in California, I went to go work for a drum magazine, knowing that I was in the drum space. And I got to meet like some pretty amazing people. But I just, I walked in at the doors. I'm like, hey, do you need any help? I live here. I like literally live like right down the street. I just kind of moved right close to one of the magazines, not, not on purpose, just happened to happen like that. And they said, no, no, we don't need you. Uh, we appreciate it, but we're, we're kind of too small for, we don't have any more like people we need. And then they called me back two weeks later, like said, well, you know, um, actually, do you know anything about accounting and math? I'm like, I'm the yes guy. Yes, absolutely. Let's do this. I got this right. I ran my own business. I was running a meat company before that for a little time. So I went in there and did that. I was doing their accounting for a drum magazine. And I got a chance to see the inner workings of how the drum, the publishing business works with magazines. I eventually went on to launch my own magazines, multiple magazines, uh, offline, like physical magazines, but that's how I learned how to do this stuff and got to meet some amazing people. So I would say that, uh, just yeah, getting out there and just making it happen is, is one of the keys to success and not worrying about like where the chips fall. Cause they're going to take you in a different direction. For sure. Like you think you're going to this, this island over here, like, but you're not going to go straight to that island. You're going to pick pit stops in all these different places before you get to that place you're looking for. If you allow uh, yourself to evolve in the process. That is awesome. So tell me, what is one of the funniest mistakes that you made as a speaker? Uh, funny, funniest mistakes. I mean, besides like having everything f- like ripped off you when you're leaving the stage, like those kind of dumb <laughs> things, like you walk off the stage and like you catch it on a mic stand and like the whole thing rips off you, you know, other than that, I mean, no, nope, that never that, happened right? to me. Sorry. No, that's oh, your man, story. I feel really you bad now. <laughs> <that story. laughs> yeah. The, so little stupid things like that are tripping. I mean, kind of like looking dumb. I just like, so you actually walked off the stage and your shirt got ripped off. Oh, well, in the shirt. You. Like <laughs> it's like, boom, spoom, spoom. like the, the disco ball starts spinning around. like start doing the move. No, not quite like that. Uh, <laughs> spray painted some abs on me and everything else. Right. Uh, it was just, it was the, the microphone kind of like got ripped off and just like it jerked you back. Doesn't, doesn't look very smart. Right. Uh, just in general, like I just talked hey, about the smart You're doing better stuff. than some people. I know people that have walked into the washrooms with their lavalier still on. <laughs> I used to be the guy on the other end of that listening, doing video recordings at the big events. Uh, that was fun. Actually, that's a huge opportunity for people too, if they don't know that. Like we're getting back into this whole, like people going to live events and stuff because uh, they were uh, down for the last uh, year or so, a couple of years. I would go around with a, a nice video camera that I paid like two grand for. It's like really nice at that point. And I would interview people with, I don't have them right here with me, but these like little Sennheiser wireless mics, because you need to be wireless. Yep. And I would interview people and I'd put them up on YouTube. This is way before like video blogging or everything that became popular. And I had like millions of views. I didn't know what that meant. I was just like, you know, I don't know. I didn't have monetizing. I was monetizing YouTube at that point. I don't think of those video ads at all at that point either, but there was uh, people would walk literally like walk to the bathroom as soon as I finished an interview and I would hear the flush and like, they wouldn't turn the thing off. I'm like, where did he go? I would hear conversations happening. I'm like, where's this guy at? <laughs> so, but I'm saying the opportunity there is to like show up to uh, events and do interviews with people, take some sound cuts. Like, again, if you're as a speaker, you don't always have to be this person that's being interviewed, step out and be the person that's interviewing others. That genuine rest people, if you do a great interview with somebody, they will always ask you a good person will say, what can I do for you? Or when can I check it out? Or like when you get it, you just give people another opportunity to open up a conversation on a phone or a zoom call. And 
it's just, it's gold companies, sponsorship opportunities. Like you can interview companies that are doing things like you can become that influencer. There's like so many opportunities out there for people who are in the speaking space uh, that, yeah, I don't know. And we were talking about like funny things, like the most embarrassing things happen. And I started talking about this, like uh, walking to the bathroom with your microphone on stuff. But yeah, I know <laughs> it'd be worse if you're in a crowded room and your microphone's still on. And then, yeah, you hear all the sounds, you hear all the barnyard sounds the animals make in the bathroom. <laughs> so let's go back to when you're being interviewed by somebody and they ask you kind of an off off the wall sort of question. How do you curtail that conversation mm. back into your brand? Yeah, I'm trying to think because there's a few situations that I've been in like that, that I just didn't catch it until afterwards, until we'd already moved on to another question. It's like, well, can we go back? And like, you can't go back. It's like done. You're, you done answered that question. <laughs> It's bad, right? Especially in like pre-recorded interview stuff where they get to kind of chop it up however they want to chop it up. So do you find uh, that you're getting faster at the um, seeing the cues and having your brain snap with something that's pithy? <laughs> kind of. Uh, the key is this. If, if there's that endorphin rush of them talking about something that you're really passionate about and you get really excited about it, and then they ask you the question that you're not prepared for. That's the problem you got to watch out for. And I'm not sure if that's <laughs> in court. Yes. Man. Lawyers do that all the time. Yeah, they're it's smart really people, those people, <laughs> smart and devious. Um, but I would say that if that's a learned thing, maybe they learn that in media school, if that even exists. But there's watch out for those kind of scenarios so you can kind of catch yourself. The key is really studying, you know, and doing, you know, doing a thousand hours of practice. You know, some people say 10,000 hours of the practice. I mean, just Record yourself giving your signature presentation over and over again. Run it by some people, just people that you trust. Be like, hey, like, where did I lose you at? Where were you thinking about going and checking out cat videos, you know, in, in this presentation? And then you, you make a note of when that's going to be. And then you go and change that presentation. Because we should always have, as a speaker, at least one to three signature presentations that you can give. Like PowerPoint's done. You've done it so many times. You don't have to think about it. And you know that there are pain points that you can answer for people. So that would be the suggestion I would have uh, to, to make sure that you don't, so you stay on brand and you don't get off because you've said it's enough times, you know, and try to deliver value. Don't try to just pitch your stuff. So there's a point of like staying on brand, like you're guiding them towards a sale, but then there's the, the idea of staying on brand. So it's like, you want to make sure that you look like somebody that you can help solve the person's problems who are listening. Mm -hmm. Like you actually know what you're talking about. There's that part of staying on brand too. So I would say lean more towards that. Like I'll solve your problems. I'll help you solve your problems because your problems are unique as opposed to I'm going to take you to a sale immediately. Uh, it's, a, it's a mixed bag. You need to do both a little bit. Otherwise, you're, you know, you'll be eating peanut butter jelly sandwiches for the rest of your life. But, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So can we give an example right now? If I were to say uh, something, can you give an example of taking that off um, to going back on brand? Sure, we can try. I mean, this is this is live. Do this it live. live. This is real. No, it's not. We can end it out, but we're not going to. <laughs> <laughs> but if somebody were to interview you and say, you know, um, as part of the band um, and the guitar and the drummer, would you say that you had the most? Um... Oh, and I can't even take it off trail for you because I'm. My brain goes to, well, ask about rabbits. And then <laughs> going, well, no, I should probably ask you something that you actually know about. So when it comes to the party, who has the most fun at the party? Is it the drummer or the singer? That's a great question. Now, that's a great response that gives you a second to think. That's a great question. 
you know, I've been thinking about this one. Like you can actually, you can create a couple of these like little interludes to let yourself like your brain go, you know, Instead work it out. Um, uh, yeah. Um, uh, that's, you know, <laughs> the whole thing. You know what I mean? That's, I caught myself saying that a lot early on. Like, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? That's like, all right, stop doing that. It might be a Midwest thing. I'm not sure. Uh, even like the, uh, I just did. So and that's another one. So, right. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> right, all right. <laughs> Tell people another person's story. It doesn't always have to be your story. So, you know, you can pivot the conversation by telling a story. People love stories. So that would be a great way. If you have a few stories in your bag about things that are, they're not really relevant, but it's something people are going to want to listen to. You know, when I was on the road, um, I was actually backstage with Metallica this one time. And it was so amazing when I saw, and like tell a story that people are getting into, like they're wondering when you're going to get to answer their question, but you know what? They will be so lost in the story that they won't even remember what the question was to begin with. Any story that starts with when I was backstage with Metallica, yeah. we don't care if you go back <laughs> to talking about rabbits again. It's like, that's awesome. <laughs> exactly. So you got to think about one of those pattern interrupt stories or even multiple pattern interrupt stories that would be really great. You know, that, that would be something I would say uh, would be very helpful in helping pivot the conversation. Nice. I love that. So um, when you're, when you're looking at what you're doing right now, are you still working with speakers? Are you helping them? How are you, mm -hmm. how has your career evolved to this point? Yeah. Uh, so I do the stuff that people don't want to do most of the time. And I find that that works really, really well in business in general. Find something that, find a niche that people are hungry for a solution and be willing to do the thing that no one else is willing to do. Provide the service or provide the answers or provide the answers in a way that no one else is willing to do it. A lot of people for a long time weren't willing to do one-on-ones. They're like, oh, I'm just going to do group coaching programs, right? Because it's easier. It's leverageable, blah, blah, blah. They weren't willing to do one-on-ones or they were only doing one-on-ones and they weren't doing anything else. You know, so whatever the market needs, that's this little bit, you know, I wouldn't say disconnected, but it's a pattern interrupt from what, what they're used to seeing. Um, what was the question again? I know. <laughs> Who do you work with? When I was backstage with Metallica. Um, <laughs> that brings me to my current career of doing right, science. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm not thinking so. <laughs> um, so. So you're still, so in 360 Summits, you're now working with speakers, obviously, mm -hmm. to, to be able to put on their presentations and to, right. um, and to run their summits. Are you working with them to uh, craft their message, to yes. do things, or are you just solely kind of, hey, we'll take care of the tech? Of yeah, the let me, let me, maybe I'll go through the process we go through with this. Yeah. Because this is very valuable, I think, for any speaker to use for their message, for creating their, their presentation. There's a process we go through, which is um, what we call the uh, copy triggers, avatar copy triggers. So when we create summit content, what first one is write down 40 pains, fears, and frustrations. These are the, the challenges, the mistaken beliefs, the things that are keeping them from experiencing their success, whatever they're looking to experience. That is, I, it's really key in identifying what the topics are. Like when we write out our content for summits, all the, the topics for the interviews themselves, by the time that we're done writing that out, like you could go in there and just grab any of these as book titles. You can grab them as speech titles, uh, you know, how to do this, you know, the secrets to doing this, the truth about doing that. Like these all become, what is that? What is this? What is, you know, this, I guess, uh, those things that they're looking to, to solve, like that's, that's really a key to this. So we take that, it takes a couple of weeks to go through that about six, seven phone calls. Like we, we really pull the gold out of them because most of the time you can't hear it yourself. You can only talk about the problem, but no, you need someone else to kind of pull that gold out and say, okay, I think that that's, um, that's something we could turn into a topic or whatever that might be. 
So we help the host we work with going through that process. And then we also go through a deep dive avatar copy call. And that avatar copy call takes about 90 minutes or so for people to go through. And it's uh, like, I ask questions like, what are the mistaken beliefs that your avatar has? Like, how do they self-identify? Like, if you're going to call them out in a crowd, like, how would they self-identify? Like, what do they want to be called? Like, what's their primary complaint, their primary problem that they're trying to overcome? What are the secondary complaints? Like, what are the side effects that happen because they didn't solve their first complaint, their, their first problem? So in the example of a drummer, right? I, can't, I don't get enough gigs. I'm, I'm looking to get more gigs and better gigs. Well, what's the side effects for that? Well, I'm still working at that restaurant. You know, I'm still eating ramen. I have no refrigerator, you know, whatever the complaints are that they would have, like that lean because they don't have the great gigs. Sometimes those secondary complaints become great topics for some of your presentations that you can give your keynotes, because it's exactly what people want. If you know that avatar inside and out, you can also do the same thing for dreams. Although people are not as motivated by dreams. They're more motivated by the complaints and things are trying to run away from pain than running towards a pleasure that they're looking to experience. Typically, you know, most people are. Uh, so that's taking the avatar approach is a great way of getting into the head of that person that you're working with and also having the Ascension model. What I, what I suggest if you're going to be creating your own programs, and this is what I, I coach people through that are speakers who maybe they, they don't know how to monetize their message would be what, what adds, what's your main problem, right? And I always ask that.
for it. Like no one wants to pay for it, right? Uh, we'll give you five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever. Like, so we, we own it, right? We own the copyright to that content, but it's still, it's a great way of being in front of people and not really having to go out there and pay for advertising. Because if you think about like, we had advertisers paying us full page advertorial rates for like several thousand dollars, but you're writing a, uh, a piece that's educational nature. You put your, your author subject line at the bottom or whatever. It's just as good as an advertorial. It's just as good as an advertisement. And you're getting out there to so many people. So becoming a regular contributor to like physical magazines or newspapers or podcasts like this, right? Being out there like as much as you possibly can, like, that's really the key. Like podcasts really are the new magazines, uh, I think. Uh, we're never going back to the old stuff. It's going to be more nostalgic. Like, hey, I guess this paper thing delivered in my mailbox is really cool. It's called a magazine. <laughs> like that's what our grandchildren are going to be saying. Have you heard of the magazine, Grandpa? It's like what? <laughs> it's this new. Right. It's this new thing. They're starting to mail these things out because everything's cyclical, right? It's going to come back to magazines someday. And everybody will be wondering what the hell's a magazine? Oh yeah, where does that word like, come from? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, like you say, tape to people. Like yeah. what? I have these tapes. Like tape. What are you talking about? Like Scotch tape? Like no. Like <laughs> we used to put these things in like this little cassette player, cassette tape. What is that? You had to actually flip it. You know, it kind of sucked, right? <laughs> <laughs> When it got to the end of one side, like it, people, it's amazing how short the lifespan of innovation seems to be. Like the older you get, you realize like no one really, the younger generations don't even know what the heck I'm talking about. Right. You know? <laughs> and it, it is, everything is cyclical. Like, will, will tapes come back? Probably not, but it'll come back in a certain way. Like something about that will come back because there's always something in the technology that becomes cyclical. Dude, I went past a record store the other day and I just about dropped <laughs> Wow, there's like an entire actual store full of records again going. That is so weird. And yet every time I ask somebody for a Victrola, they have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm still looking for one. So if you find one, <laughs> I want one with the great big uh, flower on it. That'd uh, be awesome. I'm looking for him. George, you have been absolutely awesome. This is fantastic. So I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How do they start their journey with you? Sure. I mean, I'm happy to help people get on those stages that looking for. We do uh, events that are, you know, health and wellness, business, personal relationships. I mean, you name it, special interest. There's not a whole lot of events that I won't touch. There's a few that I won't touch, but for the most part, like we, we do a lot of events. So I'm always open to giving someone a stage, like either it's your stage, like you can help put everyone together. Or if you want to get on our stages, I'm always happy to do that. Every day I usually um, talk to at least two or more speakers and I put them on at least three to five stages over the course of a year. Just go to 360summits.com, book a call with me or one of my team members and like, we'll, we'll help you out. Like we want to help you get there. Awesome. Love it. So I have to ask, at what point in life did you know that you were especially kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think... Uh, It's just in you. It's just in you. And something needs to wake that up. You know, when that catalyst comes along, it wakes you up. And it's just like, holy crap, I've always been an entrepreneur. I just didn't know what it was called. And then it's like, yeah, okay. And then you just embrace the crazy, uh, I would say. <laughs> once you embrace the crazy, then you know, like, there's no turning back. So <laughs> embrace the crazy, everyone. <laughs> Definitely. So would you consider being a speaker different from being an entrepreneur or just a subset of entrepreneurialism? Well, so here's how I look at entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur if you're making money from something that you do. It doesn't be something you love, just something you do. So the, the switch becoming from being a philanthropist and speaking for free. And by the way, too, speaking for free is amazing because it's what you do with that attention and what you get on the back end. I would rather speak free all day long to get paid to speak. That sounds crazy, right? Truthfully, I make way more money by speaking for free than I will ever make 
speaking and getting a speaker fee on stage. Just hand to God. Okay. <laughs> um, trust me on that one. The, I would say the, uh, I kind of lost the train of thought on that. Like you got me off on that. That's so, okay. Well, we used to work, Bob Proctor used to say that a, an entrepreneur or a, even a speaker is somebody that would, um, they do it because they absolutely love it and they would right. do it for free, but they don't, they charge a lot for it. <laughs> right. So it's the stuff that we don't like. We always joke around and being a drum, like drummer, like we play for free when everything's set up, but we get paid to set the, the crap up. Like, <laughs> Carrying this stuff around, like being a drummer is heavy. It's not like you just walk in with a harmonic. You're like, I got this, right? It's not like that. Like it's a bunch of stuff you got to carry around. You got to have a, a, a Jeep or something. But the moment that you go from I'm, I'm speaking for free and I'm not making any money from this to I am doing something that's solving people's problems and they're willing to pay me for it. Mm-hmm. That's where I think the shift is in becoming an entrepreneur. Love that. That was awesome. You're even amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it immensely. I know how valuable it is. Any last words for our peeps? Embrace the crazy. <laughs> Love that. Awesome. Thank you. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to share with fellow speakers. If you know anyone that would make a great guest for the show, or if you have a topic you'd like me to discuss, reach out to me at michelle at awarenessstrategies.com or connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook. I'd love to hear from you.